This is the Kinfolk Project, a resource for the African American genealogy search. The following podcast is designed to help you with your family history quest, offering solutions to your inquiries, true and tried guidelines to shaping your tree, and answers from experts. The host, Bernie Moody's passion for genealogy started as a child, asking questions of his parents and grandparents. He has been researching earnestly since 1990 and is considered an expert in African-American genealogy by many of his peers. Now, host of the Kinfolk Project podcast, Bernie Moody. On this episode of the Kinfolk Project podcast, Dr. Stephanie Phoenix, as part of the African-American World War II Oral History Project, interviews my father, Wallace Bernard Moody, a World War II veteran on his experiences as a Montford Point Marine. Now, these men were the first African-Americans allowed to serve in the Corps. The interview covers my father's early life in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and Louisa County, Virginia, his induction and service during the war. It was conducted January 21st, 2000. Good morning, Mr. Mooney. Good morning. <laughs> what I'd like to do, first of all, is, is start a little bit with your personal background. You told me that your father is Theodore Roosevelt. Interesting name. He's born in New York. Um, do you know anything about his family? No more than his grandfather. His father was a farmer in Virginia. Was a farmer in Virginia? Okay. Mm, they moved, didn't move, but they would go to Braddock, Pennsylvania, not Braddock, Tarrytown, New York, okay. to work during the off seasons. Oh, okay. So that's how he that's was born there. He was born there. Mm-hmm. Was your father an educated man? No. Okay. No. And what occupation did he work? He ended up with being, he was a truck driver. A truck driver? For a builder supply company in the city of Harrisburg. Okay. And so he spent most of his life working in that in occupation? In that one job. What was your father like? What was his personality like? Well, he was a very nice fellow. He was an outdoor person, liked to go places. He loved baseball. Baseball. Yeah, uh-huh. he, baseball. Uh, and was he a religious man? Yes, he okay. was. He was very religious. What man. particular faith? In his later, yeah, he was Pentecostal. He Pentecostal. was okay. Church of God in Christ. Okay. And what was your relationship like with your dad? Very good. My mother died when we were very young, mm. and so it was my father and my aunts, more or less, with. Help, you know, the upkeep bringing this up. It's pretty close with your Close with their family, yeah. Okay. Um, so, as you say, your mother um, died when you were about how old? My youngest sister was months old, yeah, when she died. Oh, wow. And that put me about what? I'm about five. About five. five do you have any years. memories of her? Oh, yes. Very, very little. But yeah. Faintly. What do you remember very about her? Very faintly. I, I can remember in her latter years when she was sick. That's about all I could remember. Was it her sisters who were there to help? Or your your father's sisters who were my there? My father's help? sisters, yeah. Okay. They always did. Growing up. And, so if you were about five and she died and you moved to Harrisburg. So she was about, she died here in the city of Harrisburg. Okay, mm-hmm. after you had moved here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she was, I was probably about six somewhere in that area. Do you know uh, anything about her family? She was. I know. You said she was born in Virginia. Oh yes, yes. I know her. Oh, all about her family. My grandmother and grandfather. That's where we would go every summer. Oh, oh, that's right. And that's see, I had grandparents on both sides of the family, within five miles of each other. So 
Oh, really? They're so, in Virginia? Mm, yeah, oh, so okay. They, okay. So my, grand, my mother and father's parents both were in Virginia. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Was your mother an educated woman? No. Okay. Mm -hmm. What type of, do you know what type of work she did? More or less housekeeper, home, homemaker is all she ever was. Mm -hmm. And what, what did her family tell you about her? Are you, though you didn't grow up with her, I'm sure. No, well, my grandmother always told me, I mean, it wasn't much, but it wasn't too much I could remember of her other than what I knew myself. Yeah, yeah. But she had another brother and a sister. Mm -hmm. So we were all very close related. What was it like spending your summers in, in Virginia? Those were some of my best days. Really? <laughs> oh, I, I, we look forward to that. Every year when school was out, we'd leave to go to Virginia. That's where we stayed until school was open. Until we got to be of age when we didn't want to go to the country mm -hmm. anymore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> then we stayed here, we moved. Well, we always did have a home here in Harrisburg. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so what did you like about? Harrisburg? No, what did you like about uh, the South? What did you like about well, your grandparents? That is what I think made a man out of me, the, the teaching that I got from my grandparents, the do's and what to do and what not to do. Mm -hmm. I basically got that from them. And when I came back to Harrisburg, I usually knew, how, knew what was what. Mm -hmm. But at the same token, I had a very nice young life in Harrisburg. Knew everybody, went everywhere. <laughs> My father, he was a type of a person that liked to go places, so we always went to ball games and all your well, your outdoor events like Indian Town Gap, you know, places like that when they have their mock battles and Gettysburg Battlefield. He was into that kind of stuff. That what gave me a little knowledge of that. So before we move from your parents, tell me a little bit about your grandparents. What were they like? Well, very nice. I had grandparents on both sides. and they, they were all of the same religious persuasion. We went to the same church mm -hmm. and same Sunday school. And other than that, and farming and life on a farm, there wasn't too much to talk about. Okay, except for the do's and don'ts. That's right. So you went to school here, and for the most part here, in yes, Harrisburg. I started school at Wickersham, okay. kindergarten. Were the schools segregated? Yes, very much so, 100 <laughs> percent at that time, oh yeah. What was that w like? Wickersham, well at that time it didn't make any difference. We didn't realize, you know, what what's going on. Hmm. But yeah, we, Wickersham was 100 percent discriminated. I mean, it was all black. Mm -hmm. Did you like school? Yes, yes I did. I had never had a, no time that I can remember where I didn't want to go to school. Mm -hmm. you know, I always liked to go to school. Any particular subjects you liked studying? Well, during my younger, in the earlier stages in school, I was more or less the drawer. We used to have the Christmas things, and I'd be one of them to help draw the pictures on the windows and be colored by the other girls or something. Ah. That was part of my experience. An artist. I thought. <laughs> but that didn't that didn't last. No, it's still that in there. But I really act on it or not, it's mm. still in there. And then we left grade school and went to your middle school, which was Camp Curtin. And for one year we 40 year of what, 40, 
the year of flood? 40, 40, 36, man. The flood of 36, right? Mm. Yeah. Well, that year we went to the country, Virginia, and stayed. And that's where we went one year school in, oh. in Virginia. Then the following spring, we came back to Harrisburg. So your house was flooded and the whole yes, where we were. Mm -hmm. And so we came back to Harrisburg and started at Camp Curtin Junior High School. Did your family end up moving totally? Oh to no, another house no, no. My father. It was just my father here. Okay. Yep. No. The, so you, the kids left and went to Virginia, and your dad stayed. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. We didn't actually didn't leave to go that, but when we were there, that's when they had the heavy rains and snows and oh. stuff that winter. So we just, so you just decided to let us stay down. <laughs> I bet that was fun. Yeah, that was the experience of the year. Get that now. Did you find school different down there than here? Up until that point, no, because it was segregated also. <laughs> okay. It was just up. But the only thing I found about the black schools, they taught more black history. In the South? In the South. Oh, yeah. We had Emancipation Day and, you know, that we had that. Those were special days for them. Mm. Well, here you didn't even hear about it. So that year was a quite educated. What were you like as a child? My sister said I was a very bad fellow. And my cousin would tell me the same thing. And so they had my wife believing it now. Then <laughs> <laughs> she shakes her head. Well, they said I was quite mysterious, and you know, didn't like to fight, you know, I was like a typical boy. You know. He had a son just like <laughs> Wallace J. So, so they, they, they told off on you, huh? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, the thing they told me, I just had to stop and think about it, oh. and I couldn't deny a lot of it. <laughs> okay, so you um, grew from a child to a young man, young and man. going to high school. High school, went to through the system Camp Curtin Junior High. Mm -hmm. That went to senior high with William Penn. Okay. One full year, that was the 11th grade, and was promoted to mm -hmm. the 12th, and I decided to give up school. <laughs> I didn't go back for my senior year. Oh. I'm on ever since. Decided to go to the railroad. Well, it, Basically, yes. Well, for looking for a job, my first job was with construction. Okay, okay, before the railroad. So what made you leave school? Well, I could, the only thing I could say, I didn't have a, the people to push me to go to school. And at that time, it was more or less, say, get a job. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the fellows would drop me out of school and didn't get a job, but now I had to get a job. And if I didn't get a job, my dad had a job waiting for me because he, was working for Harrisburg Builder Supply and he could get me a job there, mm. but that was the place I didn't want to work. So Why I not? went so I went to work construction and then I went into the state of Maryland and worked construction for a while. Mm. Then when my draft board started calling me, you know, instead of me changing it to Maryland, I'd come back to Harrisburg and sign up. And so last time they called me I came back and didn't go back no more. I left from here to go in the military. So they called you more than once? Oh yeah, second time I came back to Harrisburg. So what happened when they called you the first time? Well, I mean, they didn't call you, but mm -hmm. you know you were to report for certain things. Uh -huh. But the last time was your final call when you, oh. you, you had been drafted. Okay. <laughs> 
So you so you reported, but you Re didn't have to. Mm -hmm. So I reported to Harrisburg. That last time. Because I never changed my draft board. See, so I came to Harrisburg and I went through the examinations and everything. Okay. And then I was told I had two choices: Coast Guard or the Marine Corps. I'm, all my buddies was going to the Army, but I had two to Navy. No, three, Navy, Coast Guard, Marine Corps. You know, we, you give you an examination, you know. Right. And you didn't have a special request. No, I didn't have They a, just gave I you didn't those ha options. I had that choice, yeah. But I, I wanted to go in the Army. Okay. You, but if, you know, if I had had the opportunity, I'd have been in the Army with the rest of my buddies. See, but, but they told me Navy, Coast Guard, Marine Corps. It was my choice. And so I seen Navy, water, Coast Guard, more water. And so I said, well, I'll take Marine Corps. <laughs> So that's how I ended up in the Marine Corps, Marine Corps. which I never regret. <clears throat> Let me ask you this though, before we get into that part of your uh, of your life, why didn't you want to work with with the uh, Harrisburg Supply Company? That was a bill of supply and all. My dad was a hard worker. He they did. He was a truck driver, but all they did was load and unload sand, cement, and blocks and stuff. <laughs> And I just couldn't see myself doing that. I figured I, I could do better <laughs> to work on the railroad, which every day I went there, I was looking for another job because I found that wasn't too easy either. So they called me. Well, in, when you're working on the railroad, that means you wintertime, you didn't have enough service to work over the winter, so they furlough you. Okay. So in the f winter of 43, that's when they called me to be drafted. So I went in the military, and so when they called me back to the railroad, I was already in the military. military. <laughs> <laughs> Happily so. Mm -hmm. So you end up in, in the Marine Corps. In the Marine Corps, the Marine Corps. Down in New River, North Carolina. New River, North Carolina. So that was when it was called New River. Well, um, that was the address at that time. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. There you went for basic training. Basic training. Can't Six months you. long. I would say at least. Mm -hmm. What was that? What was entailed in basic training? With me, basic training was a quite a segregated situation. Now, start when I first came there. I was late getting in, getting to camp. Really? Why? I was with a group, picked up going to Harrisburg by train, and we got into a place called Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, and we had layover time. And at that time, it was a band. Andy Kirk, the Clouds of Joy, was there that night. So we were supposed to catch our train the next, no, 11 o'clock that night, which we missed. So we had to wait until the next morning, about 8, to catch it. So you went to sea. So we, so we were, I'm coming in the Marine Corps a little backwards. <laughs> and we were just draftees, and you know, as a group, we all come in as a group, you know. Someone from Philadelphia come in, when you reach the station, we all get together. And you have a captain who is in charge. He have a list, your name on it, and your right. food ticket and everything. Right. But anyhow, we get into Rocky Mount, and that's where we split up. And so we goes to the what they call the annual June German or something in Rocky Mount with Jimmy Lunsford and no Andy Kirk and Cloud of Joy. That's what it was. And so we stayed over our time. <laughs> so when we get ready to go to the station, our train was gone. Now, was this a, a, a regulated activity? You know, something that with the, the with the with the uh, with the Marine Corps that they had. No, we. I'm I'm just a draftee coming in. Oh, this was something that was just happening to the general. Yeah, but public. But the ban was for general public in in 
Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, and that's where our train stopped mm -hmm. at. Mm -hmm. And we had to make a connection going to Raleigh, and that's which how you we missed. The train. Okay. And so when we did get there, they were waiting on us. It was about five of us. I forget. I couldn't name them, but. And the first thing they got when they say, you people in our Marine Corps. And so we were dressed down pretty good, but not harshly, you know, but they let you know that we were in their Marine Corps. What'd they do? Mm -hmm. What did they do? Oh, they didn't do anything but just let me know we came in on the wrong foot. And we didn't, we wasn't punished or anything, but they just give us a nice little tongue lashing. Okay. You people. Yeah, basically when they... When they pulled us all out on the drill field, you know, introducing the new recruits, that was their word. You people in our Marine Corps. <laughs> More than once? Oh, yes. That was, that was your colonels and thing making a statement like that. But now, it wasn't, it was there. But it wasn't all the time. But And we want you to do this and you do this and do that. It's a regular, regular military. Mm. So what was a typical day like? To me, it was training. it was very good. They didn't treat us no worse than you. I don't think they would any other soldier. No. Like, what would they have you do? How early would they have you get up? Well, you had your regular basic routine. You'd get up in the morning and had your time to wash up. Time you did everything according to the numbers. You know, mm -hmm. time to eat. What was the food like? Very good. Well, oh yeah, they gave us good food. Any spam? Well, that was that was probably one of your basic. Oh yeah, we had spam and we had powdered eggs and all like that. But there was, but whatever it was, it was plentiful. Like okay. that's one thing I can always say. But you had a certain time to eat it. If you didn't eat it within that time, you still when the group moved out, you had to move out with them. Because you were then what they call the platoons. After just going through basic training, you had a drill sergeant in charge. You'd be in charge of say about what thirty people each one. So you move when they move. Everybody did everything together. What uh, type of training did you participate in? Well, it was more or less uh, physical exercises and stuff like that. And then that was all it. And you're running. You did a lot of running. Mm -hmm. But the main thing was to teach you how to obey commandments, your commands. And you, like you often hear about your drill sound, they were loud and some of them, but they were not all that boisterous, a lot of them, but they were loud because that was part of their job, you know. I'm this and I'm your mother, I'm your father, I'm this, will you listen to me when I say go, you go, I say jump, you jump. But I mean, you know, they wanted to instill that, I guess it would be military courtesy or something that you had to obey your commanding officers. Did you train on any special weaponry or? After basic training, I was assigned to the 51st Defense Battalion. Okay. That was an all-black military, I mean, anti-aircraft outfit, mm -hmm. all black, all except our... Now, we, we didn't have no... All our line officers were white, you know. We had, we had sergeants, they really had no, no uh, lieutenants or nothing. All of our lieutenants were white, mm -hmm. and, you know, above. And we had sergeants, sergeant majors, and all of that were black. Then we went into the 51st Defense Battalion, and, and it was basically the anti-aircraft outfit, which consists consist of your large and small weapons. For example? Well, you had your special weapons groups, which, which were your small, small ammunition, 
Then they had the anti-aircraft group, which I was assigned to. That was your 90-millimeter anti-aircraft guns. And so I took my training on that as a fuse setter. And I just, that was the assigned position that I had. As a Fuel setter? Fuse, F-U-S-E. Fuse setter. Yeah, you got a big bullet, ammunition, you know, it's a, the same as a bullet, but that you put in your barrel of these guns to shoot up in the air. But actually, and you have to set the fuse for the time that you want it to go up, which you receive from a radar section. So the anti-aircraft outfit consists of radar, you had your special weapons group, and your 90 millimeter group. They were all separate, but you put them together and you had the 51st Defense Battalion, you had your trucking outfit, you, everything. It was that full unit. And then while we trained on that, then we went to uh, Camp Pendleton in, in uh, California okay. for now, advanced training. Tour. Now before you left Camp Lejeune, uh -huh. uh, you said that your officers, your line officers and, and other officers were white officers. Yeah. Um, how did they treat you? We were treated very nice because they were, I, I think they were at our mercy because it was more of us than them. <laughs> and it, it was quite an experience with with dealing with them, okay. the ones we had. Okay, so all positive, no, no discrimination? If it was, you didn't pay too much attention to it. But I mean, you knew you was in a white military, you're in the branch of service, you knew that. Mm -hmm. We knew that. How did they make you know? Well, by the things that they would let, they would explain to us, you know, now we have to do this and we can't do that, and you know, they would try to explain it to make it easy for us as possible. What couldn't you do? <laughs> well, there wasn't certain. Th I mean, they didn't say what we couldn't do, but how we should do, you know, to make ourselves to be the best that we were supposed to be. As black soldiers. As black folks. <laughs> and if you look back on it, we had some very nice. Officers, very good. Our colonels and all, they were very nice because I would say they was at our mercy. Were the barracks segregated? The barracks, definitely. Oh, yes. Were they the same in the same condition? Well, now, I go back to Camp Lejeune. It wasn't what it is today. It was what they called tent cities, and that's what tents, tent barracks down there when we went there. Because they hadn't built that up until after we went overseas, and when we came back, you're surprised at what you came back to. <laughs> So segregated barracks. In a segregated city. Okay. Not the whole town we were in was segregated. So when we went to town, we mm -hmm. had to go on our own buses, come back on our own. I mean, the, in the south, the buses were white up until about the last three or four seats in the back, then you go. That's what they started us out on. You now, know? you are a member of the, of the United States Marine Corps mm -hmm. with your uniform. That's right. On your, and you know, getting ready to go to town. Getting ready to go to town. How do you feel well, being told that you can't ride in a certain part of the bus? Well, you felt at one time you felt bad, but you figured that was the going thing, so you went along with the program. Up until one time, I can remember though, we went to Raleigh, North Carolina for leave, and once we got there, and we were on the way to come back. We loaded the bus up with all black people. And the bus driver refused to drive the bus. So one of our truck drivers, see now I'm in an outfit that have everything, you know. We have our own truckers and drivers and everything. 
that one of our drivers decided to get in the bus, drive it back to Camp Lejeune, park it at the gate, and we unload. So the next day, everybody that was in Raleigh, they wanted to see us on the drill field the next day. So, quite naturally, no one showed up. Then they called their old outfit out there, and then the colonel went up, and then he was more or less laughing, but didn't want to see it done no more. <laughs> but since nobody admitted to it, but he knew that it did, because the bus was out there, and so he gave us a nice, didn't told us not to do it no more. He had to, because that was his duty. That was the kind of officers we had. No one was punished. We did those things. I have read that the Marine Corps was the most resistant, or one of the most resistant mm -hmm. arms of the military I believe to it. blacks. Mm -hmm. But yet you're telling me the officers, the commanding officers, mm -hmm. treated you well. Very well. So who didn't want you in? Well, see, because we, we, as we were as a unit, and we, the unit was no, I mean, he couldn't be no better officer than what we made him. And they appreciated it. I, I say they did. Because then when we left camp, we left camp, the June going to, going to Camp Pendleton in, in uh, California. Mm -hmm. That's when we ran into some more difficulties. You know, we loaded our troop train up in Jacksonville, North Carolina, mm -hmm. all black, except our officers. They had I guess it was written orders when you get to a certain city, you're supposed to march in the parade, you know. I guess they're thinking we were all black. So we go in, I forget what, I think it was Temple, Texas or somewhere, and we were supposed to march in the parade. Anyhow, we didn't. We sitting on the sideline. <laughs> so that's what we did. And our colonels and everything up front battling for whatever we did. And then we ran into the same situation going to going to California. Wait, 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 back up. You sat on the sideline. Oh yes, definitely. So they, they didn't allow you? We did not march in that parade. Because you we, were a black unit. It was a black unit. unit. I don't know how they got the papers mixed up or whatever it was, but that's the way it was. So you knew you were going anticipating to march. Well, I wasn't, because I wasn't in the band. I was but the band was supposed to, to be march. in it. And once you got there, they didn't allow you. And then on the same trip going to the West Coast, we were supposed to eat at a certain place. And they, at first, they refused the service. Then they found out that we went, they found out we was all black. So our colonels and things had to go straighten that out. We ate, but it wasn't, they just didn't expect all black people. They didn't expect the whole black unit, that's what it was. Maybe. But although the military orders would mark, I mean, I don't know how they marked the orders, but I probably didn't mark it black or white. Mm. But th that's what happened there. Now, how did that make you feel? Well, that made me realize more <laughs> the more that I was in the segregated country. Call myself fighting for them. And we were just going, getting ready to go overseas. We hadn't been overseas yet. We were just going from North Carolina to California. See, everything's done in, the, in a group. Had our own troop train, moving from, that was the, something I never forget. Riding from the East Coast to West to, by rail, you know. That was fun to me, I was a young fellow. <laughs> and so, but those were the things that we ran into. And then when we get to California, then we get our advanced training. And what was that, um, what was that like? What did you have to do for advanced training? 
Well, that, that we had a, our band's training more or less was getting our our equipment together and our suitcases packed, you know, and everything numbered. And plus, they're still giving you your physical exercises. Okay. And stuff. So not so much with the weaponry, but no more preparation. So we were more or less preparing okay. when we left camp in June. How did you feel getting ready to? Go overseas. Well, as a young man, I was quite natural. I was a little fearful, but it didn't last long. <laughs> I just, when you say went with the flow, you know. You were at, oh, you were at um, Camp Pendleton. I've been coming Camp Pendleton now. And uh, you were talking about preparing over to go overseas. Go and overseas. I asked you how you felt about going. Okay. I felt, I felt, I wasn't afraid. Because no. I was, knew I was getting into something that I'd never experienced before. Mm. I wasn't afraid. Mm. And during our time there, we're in California now, you know. Mm -hmm. And so it's a little bit more liberal than where we came from. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we went and had, regular, had our regular leave, you know, going in town and places like that. How did that feel? You got to Well, we had a little freedom there, see. We, we were strictly prepared to go. We were in the military. We knew our rules and regulations. Mm -hmm. and we had to be back to camp a certain time and leave and get a two-day pass or whatever, which we never took. But being in California for the first time, it was quite an experience, going from place to place. And basically everyone mostly was with the outfit I was in, they wanted to get over into Mexico, and so which we did. <laughs> Tijuana, Mexico. That's all right, cross the bridge, rather. But it was a, it was a segregated outfit. You were black all the way through. You never, even when we was overseas, we strictly black. So the 51st Defense Battalion is uh, the first major outfit black outfit in I would say in the Marine Corps I would say. but Did it disappeared that's what bothers me there's nothing you can find out about the 51st defense battalion it just looked like this disintegrated even when I was discharged nothing I discharged out of a kind of a unit some kind of a replacement unit or whatever there was nothing looked like they just lost the 51st defense battalion hmm. And those are the areas that I was very interested in, what's happening, you know. And I imagine somewhere along the line you have other people that had higher rank than I did or had more authority that could sort of put that puzzle together. Because, see, when we went overseas in the South Pacific, that was when the first Marines was in, in a week down in Guadalcanal in that area, when well, we were their replacement. After the thing, the battle, the main thing was just about over, but it was the result of it was still there when we moved in. Did you feel a certain um, pressure as being one of the first, actually the first I, black Marine? At, at that time, no. I just figured I was in something <laughs> exciting or something that I would like to be in. Mm -hmm. and, and I wanted to make the very best of it, which, as you see, I never could get any rank out of it because once I got it, I lost it. 
Because <laughs> what? <laughs> no, I didn't didn't do too good as far as moving up to. <laughs> what uh, you moved to Ellis Island? Uh, not no. Ellis Island. Oh my goodness. Yeah, we went into the Ellis Island. Oh, that, Ellis Island. Was, we're in the South Pacific to the Ellis Island. That's to the Ellis that. Islands, and yeah, what did you experience there? Well, there. You were strictly military because there was nothing there but you. Mm -hmm. what, but the outfit we had, we defended those islands. We had our anti-aircraft guns set up and all our radar and all like that. And we did what they call outpost duty. We had high towers and you watch all the ships that would come in and as they come over the horizon, you had to call them in, you know, make sure that they were friend, not enemy. Okay. Was that your job? Well, that was more or less said like guard duty. Okay. You every so often you got that job. Okay. So what you, other types of jobs did you do? Well, when you were there, you would, we had to build bunkers and put your guns up. Mm -hmm. That was your main job. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, basically that's where you lived at most of the time. But we would go from there do guard duty, OP, what they call outpost duty. It's like you go on guard duty. We did regular guard duty. Didn't regular kitchen duty, mess duty, and stuff like that. Other than that, you clean your guns. Well, that's what we did out in, out there when we were in uh, San Diego, a lot of those places, you know, and it would rain, because they watered this rain out of clear blue sky out in California, you know, and all the ones that would rain. No, you didn't stop because it rained. You had to keep on. T those were the things that you learned there, but that was just part of being a Marine. <laughs> So you're there having, I mean, on different types of duty. What mm -hmm. um, my regular spec number was, I was a fuse setter on a 90 millimeter gun. That's the okay. spec number they give me. I forget what the number was. That was my title. <laughs> now, you mentioned earlier that you were, you were private and stayed a private. Mm -hmm. Why? Well, I did thing though when I was promoted, I. Uh, let's see, what did I do? They say sleeping on gun watch. So I had a deck court martial behind that. <laughs> this just a little rest within the office. So I, what they call you, give you, I'm my sent with three days bread and water, food every third day in the brig now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that, that was probably went against me there. Mm -hmm. but other than that, I never regretted that. No. How'd you feel about being in the military? I mean, did you want to I, I, advance, I, I, or are you just I, there? I was just there. Okay. And that, that's my, then I didn't realize what the opportunity I passed until I got out of it. Mm. I was there to get out of it. Because mm. during the time I did get out, I could have stayed in and probably moved up or out. But when my time came to come out, I just left. How long were you in Ellis Island? We were in, when you say Ellis Island, that sounds like a prison. It's a group of islands. Right, it's Ellis, a group of islands. In a week, talk saying, a couple you have of have that S on there. Otherwise, yeah, that could <laughs> Was it like a prison? Well, you, let's see, we were on an island of Inuitak. You've heard of that island. Mm -hmm. That's part of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's what, uh, 23 miles long and less than a half mile wide. And an airstrip on the end of that. So now you just picture how you really 
Sounds closed. Mm, you're in it's closed. Very closed mm -hmm. so I moved from that island. You know, we talked. Then they had one island called Nicobatog. I didn't stay on it, but I did, you know, boat, took a boat ride down to it. It was just a group of islands. They had gun gun emplacements on all those islands, 51st Defense. So what would you do when you just take a boat? You wasn't that? doing, that was, you did that on a, like on a vacation when oh, you wasn't doing it. Or mm -hmm. okay. So your life on those islands for the time you was there, you was more or less confined right there. You wasn't nowhere to go. You had no town to go to. You know, everything you had was there, your mess hall and where you stayed at and the island to walk up and down, pick seashells if you wanted to, and swim. Oh, like that was a very good experience. Then when sometime when you, we moved up to the island of Kwajalein, you might have heard of that. Mm -hmm. That was a bigger harbor. And then we'd have a little softball team and they'd invite us over to the ship, you know, something like that to play ball. But other than that, that was it. Mm -hmm. and we didn't encounter no actually fire. Mm -hmm. But we did get what they call wake-up calls, you know. We call you unidentified planes in the area or something like that. Whenever that was, that mean everybody had to go to their guns. Mm. We did quite a few of those. Okay. And then, like I said, we was on outpost duty. When somebody would spot a ship and they couldn't identify it, then that would put you on alert. But see, now we're coming down near the battle, the main battle of the war is over just about when we went in there. Because the 50, not the 50, first, the first Marine, that's when they really took a beating down in that area. Because when we got there, the stench and all, you could smell everything when we got the first went down. Mm. Did you have to clean up any of that? No, that took nature to get rid of it. Yeah. What was that like? Mm. Well, it's like anything, I stay there a couple of weeks, you smell good. Don't you get used to it. Mm. So you were in there, you were 43, from 43. Mm -hmm. January, June. June 43. Mm -hmm. I was discharging when? February 46. So February 46. Of the Asiatic Pacific, that's when I was in. You were discharged then the next year. See, that's the position then I went from there back to Camp Lejeune. Okay. Before I was discharged. That's what bothers me about the 51st Defense Battalion. You never hear nothing about it. Now, I've read about the 51st and, and, and the 52nd. Mm, yeah, they fit the second came along. Mm -hmm. right it. Mm -hmm. Do they have a history on that? I've read, the histories that I've looked at mentioned both. Mm -hmm. And, uh, they, you know, they basically emphasized that there was no combat, I mean, experience. No, um, just, just more or less waiting to see something that right. never happened. Having a presence there, but just the, the important part of it being that these were like the largest, the first mm -hmm. African-Americans really taking right. a part of the Marines. There's something so that was like the you talk about the 99th Pursuit Squad, you know, something that got lost in the shuffle until they really dig it up and find out what they did do. Exactly, you you know, but yeah, it's it's more symbolic. Yeah, more and saying and uh, from what I've read, mm -hmm. the uh, the service units, you know, met with more casualties mm -hmm. than yeah. than defense battalions. No, themselves. We didn't, we didn't, I don't remember only the casualties we had. To, I can remember one time they go up on this high outpost. Fellow, guess he flipped his lid up there, and we had to go up and bring him down. <laughs> Those are kind of cat 
he just went bonkers up there. Really? Mm. The first time I really seen a straitjacket in use, they came up and put him in a straitjacket, and that's the only way they could get him out of there. He'd had all of us. But he was just gone. Did you go up to help? No, I was down the on the bottom when they bought him. <laughs> but I was in the group that was working on I had a certain time to go up. To the app. So everyone had their round of outposts. Mm -hmm. just, just like a, like I said before, just like a, a guard duty. You had a certain time, you know. So many hours on, so many hours off. Did you ever see any unidentified? No. Ships or planes, mm -hmm. like no, because all the ships that I seen, I put a number on them, <laughs> call it in. <laughs> well, yeah, you could see them. I yeah. didn't. I never seen. Actually, there wasn't. Mm -hmm. There wasn't any. When they, in the, well, as far as that, when we were concerned, there no plane ever come back to drop a bomb on us or nothing like. But they would, so they say, would come in the area and then we'd be on alert. That was Japan, see, and most of that, at that time, what people that they had, they bypassed those islands that they were on. I think an island, a truck, or spaces like, those people probably just died on those islands. They didn't bother them. What was the morale like of the battalion? Very good. We were just a bunch of young fellows, and that? Bunch of young fellas and writing home to your girlfriend and they tell you how the girlfriend's acting up at home and you all feel sorry for them and just like me I never had one so I was single and loose free <laughs> so that didn't bother me yeah but that's all it was, it was, it was and it was a well I mean you you got to know each other okay oh, so yeah. what was your relationship like with with the fellas oh yeah you knew you knew everybody that was somebody there. That's all you had. And then when you, like when we moved, to, went to California before we went over, you always have your little group you stay with. And we did the towns together and stayed come back. Are you still in contact with any of them? Not any at all. Okay. No one. Just like when I had visitors from our church from Carlisle, and I made mention of a fella. And there was his daughter right there sitting in the church. Thanks to Dr. Stephanie Phoenix and the Pennsylvania Military Museum. And of course, my daddy, Monford Point Marine veteran Wallace Bernard Moody. Join us next time on the Kinfolk Project Podcast. This has been the Kinfolk Project Podcast with family historian Bernie Moody. If you have questions concerning your family search, you can email Bernie at moodybernie at yahoo.com and you can also follow him on Instagram at the Kinfolk Project and on Twitter, Kinfolk Dude. Thank you, and join us again for the next episode of the Kinfolk Project podcast.